So there have been Presbyterians in Gig Harbor for over a century. The first Presbyterian church was established in 1912. It was called Memorial Presbyterian Church. In the 60s, the church was in decline and was getting ready to close its doors. So a small group decided to replant up the hill, start a new Presbyterian church. And because it was on a hill and it was a chapel, they called it Chapel Hill. And we've been here ever since. When I first came here in 1989, we had the chapel and a few classrooms and there was nothing but woods around. So we were in the first small group here. The privilege of being able to be a part of something that's in a sense beyond what is my own experience. What we've had the fortune of being able to, to witness over time is this, this way of saying, wait a minute, when you stay someplace, you begin to work through things that otherwise you cannot work through. Shaping happens in those wonderful things and shaping happens in those hard things that we experience. And that there's something about staying committed to a place and to the family. It's that idea of being able to share, have a shared experience together is really important. The key for the success and the longevity of the church is they're willing to take chances. We make adjustments. Uh, and like Mary just said, you know, you, you, you find the best parts of, of the church. The leadership of saying this can't just be about us. This is really about the community and our world and how are we investing in our world. I think we are a product of the people that have gone before us, and we now have an opportunity and privilege to invest in those that go beyond us. Uh, my family started attending Chapel Hill in about 1990. We came here, I was in like third or fourth grade. Both of our kids were baptized here. Oh wait, we got married here. We got married here. <laughs> <laughs> Let me start that over. Another great early memory of Chapel Hill is the fact that I got married here. I have a lifetime of memories at Chapel Hill. It really is a gift to serve at the church that I grew up at. At the same time, it's kind of unique because there are people at Chapel Hill that helped raise me. They've seen me since I was a kid. I always knew that Chapel Hill was a place that was raising up leaders. So I felt very much at home stepping into that legacy, that line of people and women that have gone before me. It's been a church that's always remained dedicated to raising up the next generation of leaders. We've always been a church that's thought about our community, thought about ways that we can be out serving the community. And I'm really excited to see the church plant. I hope that it's the first of many. I hope that we see more church plants in the future. Pretty incredible time, and I, I can't wait to see what's next. A few weeks ago, I got to open up our Chapel Hill 101 class. This is a class that's designed for people who are new to the church to learn a little bit more about who we are, what we stand for, what our mission is. And as part of my opening, I shared my story of how I came to Chapel Hill a little over a decade ago. And then I turned it out to the room and I said, I'd love to hear from some of you. How did you end up at Chapel Hill? And a few different people shared, but I had overlooked the person sitting right in front of me. And after the first few people had shared, he piped up and he said, Hi, my name is Dean, and I'm the son of the founding pastor of Chapel Hill Church. There's a photo of Dean Neal from our choir in 1971 back there. And as he was speaking, I suddenly realized that we were standing in the presence of someone who not only had more history with Chapel Hill than anyone else in the room, but more history with Chapel Hill than pretty much anyone else alive. 
<laughs> so I asked him, I knew a little of his story, I asked him to share about the very first worship service of Chapel Hill and his role in it. He shared that he was in high school at the time. He was the temporary organist until he'd graduated from high school. For the first worship service of Chapel Hill, November 17th, 1963, they decided to bring in a guest organist and a guest choir from First Prayers in Tacoma. And they did a great job. But as the preacher was coming to the end of his message, Dean suddenly realized that this guest organist had gone AWOL. And so the mantle fell to Dean at the crucial moment of the closing hymn. He crept up onto the stage where all the bigwigs were, as he told it to us, and he snuck onto the organ bench and he struck up the final hymn. He played it perfectly all the way through, began the sixth verse, a resounding final verse, and no one was singing. There were only five verses in the hymn. And so he fudged it to an impromptu outro, and the service was finished. It's because of people like Dean's dad, the Reverend Paul Neal, and the 96 charter members of Chapel Hill United Presbyterian Church that we stand here today. Because of their faith in God, and their belief that God was going to do something remarkable in their midst, that they bought 10 acres of land on a hill up above the harbor, and they built a 300-person sanctuary, surely more than they would ever need, in the faith that God would fill it. And God has certainly been faithful to their vision over all these years. Today, we stand on their and many others' shoulders. It is their legacy of faith which brings us to this Sunday, which we call St. Andrew's Sunday. My name's Ellis. I am one of the pastors here, and it's my joy and privilege to welcome you to this St. Andrew, Andrew's Sunday. Uh, every year around Halloween, the pastors get dressed up, and we celebrate the legacy of faith which has been passed on to us by our forefathers. And it's called St. Andrew's because as Presbyterians, we trace our heritage to the country of Scotland, and in particular, the city of St. Andrew's. In the next few minutes, I'm going to share a message from the Old Testament book of Joshua we're carrying on our series. And then after that, we're going to take some time to honor the legacy of those Chapel Hill members who have come before us. So as we, we leave the first 10 chapters of Joshua, we enter this middle section of the book. And I don't know if you've read the book, but this middle section could only be described as a bit of a drag. It seems like someone is trying to describe to us a map without drawing anything. It is incredibly dull and dreary at times. And yet, what might be dull and dreary for us today was full of life to the people of Israel. Because what was being described to them was the inheritance that God was giving to his people. And we're going to talk a bit more about that inheritance next week. But interspersed in between these geographical descriptions are three stories about people, three examples of faith that shone through in the midst of this. Three people, three groups of people who put their faith in the promise of God to give them an inheritance in the land of Canaan. 
And as today we think about honoring the legacy of the Chapel Hill saints who have come before us, I want us to begin by honoring the legacy of the saints who lived over 3,200 years ago. And the first story of these three that we encounter in these middle chapters of Joshua is that of Caleb, the octogenarian giant slayer. Caleb was one of 12 spies who were originally sent into the land of Canaan about 45 years before the words we're about to read. At at that point in time, Caleb was aged 40. And what he and the other spies saw in the land of Canaan were giants, literal, physical, giant men. And 10 out of these 12 spies came back and they said, there's no way we can take the land. They're too big, they're too scary, we can't do it. But two men believed that their God could slay giants. And 45 years later, it turns out that Caleb still believed that God could slay giants. This is what we hear 85-year-old Caleb saying in Joshua 14, verses 11 and 12. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for coming and going. So... Now, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there, that's the giants, with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Caleb says, I'm just as strong today, aged 85, as I was back when I was 40. And God promised this piece of land where the giants lived back then. And today, I'm ready to take it. I'm trusting that the Lord will be with me and I will drive out those giants. What a stud. Caleb. Caleb, the octogenarian giant slayer. That's just fun to say. A couple of weeks ago, we celebrated the life and resurrection of one of our octogenarian members, John O'Morrow. In my mind, John was an octogenarian giant slayer. Despite John's body wasting away in the final year of his life, his faith did not. His faith was renewed day by day through his relationship with the Lord. My lasting memory of John will be singing with him in our summer choir back in July. He was standing right on the corner of the riser over there. Even though he was riddled with sickness and disease, even though his body was physically wasting away, nothing could stop John from standing, from singing, from serving his Lord. You know, if Caleb, if John, still slaying giants in their 80s? Why can't that be true of us when we reach that age? Maybe not physical giants like Caleb, but spiritual giants. May we all, when we reach that same age as Caleb, be known for our faith in God. And when we pass from this life to the next, may we be known as people who fought the good fight of faith, even until the very end. So the first story of faith we read in these chapters is that of Caleb, 
The second is a man that we've come to know well over the last few weeks. It's Joshua. Joshua was actually the other spy of the two spies who came back believing God would give the people of Israel the land. And Joshua went on, as we've heard in these last several weeks, to to lead God's people Israel into that land, to lead the, the army of Israel into battle and to take the inheritance that the Lord had given them. And in Joshua chapter 19, we read that because of his faith, he finally got to inherit that which had been promised to him. 19 verse 49. When they had finished distributing the several territories of the land as inheritances, the people of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. By command of the Lord, they gave him the city that he asked, Timnath Serah, in the hill country of Ephraim. And he rebuilt the city and settled in it. Finally, after overseeing the campaign to take the promised land, Joshua asked if he could be given his inheritance. Joshua had proved his faith and his leadership credentials for for more than five years of war, and now he was given the inheritance of the Lord. Chapel Hill has had many leaders over the years who have helped the church to take the inheritance that the Lord has given it. Two of those were John and Aldina Nichols. John was the co-chair or the chair of every building campaign that we did in the last 30 years of this church. Whatever you see that was built around here in the last 30 years, John Nichols was responsible for it. And in some cases, literally, his fingerprints are all over the walls because John would often be found doing work that he knew he could do and could save the church some money. John led Chapel Hill into the inheritance that the Lord had for us. We stand on his and Aldina's legacy of faith and that of the many, many other leaders who have led this church. If you are in a position of leadership, wherever, in your workplace, in your home, in your community, in the church, if you're in a position of leadership, what sort of legacy are you going to leave? Will you leave a legacy of faith, like Joshua, like John and Aldina? A legacy that says, I believe God at his word. And I will follow him, even if those around me won't. And I will grab everyone who will come with me, and I will lead them into the inheritance that the Lord has for us. That was the legacy of Joshua. And I pray that it may be the legacy of each one of us in a position of leadership. So, Caleb, Joshua, and finally the Levites. The Levites were one of the 12 tribes of Israel. They were set apart from the other 11 tribes to facilitate the worship of God in a variety of ways. They served as priests. They prepared the tabernacle for worship. They sang songs. They they packed up and, and picked up the tabernacle and moved it from place to place and then set it back up again. They, they prepared the space for the people of God in which they worshiped. And the Levites, interestingly, weren't given any land as their inheritance like the other tribes. Instead, they were told that the Lord 
was to be their inheritance. But they were given cities in which they were allowed to dwell. And in Joshua chapter 21, we read about them coming forward to the leaders of Israel and asking for those cities. They say, the Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in, along with their pasture lands for our livestock. So by command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. And it goes on to list the names of those cities. Today's Levites are all those men and women who faithfully serve and volunteer and give their time to this church and its work in this community and around the world. Men and women who who faithfully serve as part of Chapel Hill for many, many years and the fruits of whose labors we enjoy today. Men and women like Carl and Mary Logic. Carl was the man who perfected the jetway. That's the tunnel that takes you from the terminal into an airplane. It made him a very wealthy man. But you never would have known that. Because around Chapel Hill, Carl and Mary were simply faithful servants. One of Pastor Mark's abiding memories of them was a nights he would show up late to pick up something from the office. And he'd find Carl and Mary cleaning the carpets with a rented carpet cleaner. Carl and Mary were modern-day Levites who faithfully prepared our church to minister to the world. And there are so many of you who serve and give your time to make the ministry of Chapel Hill a reality. Thank you Thank you to every single one of you. We stand on your shoulders today. And if you haven't yet started serving here at Chapel Hill like a a modern day Levite, we would love to help give you a place where you can use your gifts to prepare this church to minister to the world. Please go speak to Pastor Julie or Pastor Rachel at the Wood Wall after the service. They would love to talk with you about how you can get involved in serving at Chapel Hill. Caleb, Joshua, the Levites. All of these have left a legacy of faith upon whose shoulders we now stand. And there are countless men and women who have done the same throughout the ages. And in a moment, we will honor those men and women of this church who have done that. But before we do, I want to point us to the final verses of this middle section of the book of Joshua. The reality is that that for all the good that these men and women did, there were times, and they would all readily admit this, there were times when they fell short. And ultimately, we all fall short. None of us can live up to our own standards, let alone to God's standards. But there is one who has a greater legacy of faithfulness than ours, the Lord We serve a God who never fails and will always be faithful. Joshua 21 verse 43 and following reminds us of that. It says, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. 
Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. God was faithful to his promise to give Israel the land that he swore to their forefathers. And in the end, not one word of all the good promises the Lord made failed. We serve a God who does not fail to keep his word. Even when we fail, even when the church fails and the church will fail at times, the Lord does not fail. And although we aren't promised physical land today, God has promised salvation to all who believe in him. And we saw this promise being fulfilled one more time this last Wednesday night at our middle school ministry. This was what one of our adult volunteers wrote in, a, in an email to Kingsley, our student ministries director. She said, praising God for an amazing small group discussion tonight. The girls had all kinds of questions ranging from our sinful natures to the difference between the Christian and Catholic faiths to TikToks that teach wrong things about God. We talked about what really matters to God, our hearts and whether or not we love Jesus. They seemed to be surprised to know that there was a way to be sure that their hearts were right with God. So I showed them Romans chapter 10 verse 9 in the Bible. It says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. One girl asked me to repeat it. Another asked what it meant to be saved. Then we took some time to pray. I invited the girls, if they'd never done so before, to confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord. As my eyes were closed, four girls did just that, one at a time. And then I invited them to tell God that they believed that, that he raised Jesus from the dead. And the same four girls said it out loud, one at a time. One said, I know that you raised Jesus from the dead. Thank you, Lord. God promised God promises salvation to all who call on his name. And salvation has come to the house of those four girls this week. We serve a faithful God who is at work today in our church, just as he has been for almost 58 years, and just as he was for millennia before that, enabling God's people to step in to the inheritance that the Lord has given them. Not one word of the Lord's good promises has failed to pass. And not one word will fail in the future. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, most clearly shown to us in and through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his life, his death, and his resurrection, he demonstrated your love for us. And today we stand as a legacy to the faithfulness of your son, Jesus. And now as we turn our minds to honor those saints who have, have gone before us, those who have lived out in response to your faithfulness, their own legacy of faith, I pray, Lord, that you would stir our hearts, that you would comfort those of us who are mourning, 
that you would encourage those of us who are feeling afraid and you would uplift those of us who are feeling downtrodden. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us and we honor now the faithfulness of those saints who have gone before. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are going to be some names that are going to scroll across the screen during this coming song. And if you recognize or know a name of someone who you want to honor, I would ask that at the time that name comes on the screen, you, you stand in honor of that person. And for those of you who maybe are newer around here, take this time to reflect upon the legacy of faith that has been left to us by both our God and those who have gone before us. As we honor those who have passed in the last 12 months, Ray Payne, Pat Elliott, Joseph Dionos, Teresa Brown. Linda Wilcox. Carolyn Merrifield. Harvey Rulin. Lynette. Olson, Bill Wisham, Ken Snyder, John O'Mara, Ken Peterson. Gail Stromstad. And we take a moment to honor those friends of Chapel Hill who were not members but also passed in the last year. Leo Long, Frank Kelly, Lynn Willard, and Bruce Warmer. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. We thank you for those who have gone before. We thank you that they are now with you and the angels praising your name, singing holy, holy, holy Lord, God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. And we thank you that one day we will stand with them too and join that eternal song. Until that day comes, would you empower us by your spirit that we may respond to your faithfulness and to their legacy of faith by walking out our own legacy of faith in our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name.
Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org. See you. 